0: Welcome to Midweek, a place where we dive deep into Scripture. So grab your Bible, a pen, and a notebook, and get ready to study God's Word. Um, open your Bibles to John chapter 15. We're going to cover chapter 15 tonight. And um, <clears throat> uh, as we, um, chapter 15 is the famous chapter on, you know, the vine dresser and the vine, and we're the branches, and we're, we're to bear fruit, and... Uh, uh, for those of us who are from this area from long ago, how many of you remember before there was a nice vale? Jim, you probably remember uh, there was there was a lot of vineyards out there. Anybody remember that kind of stuff out there? There were vineyards out this way. There was a lot of them, but now it's just basically all houses now. Um, but with vineyards, and I'm no, I know I don't know much about vineyards, but I do know these things. I know that you have to start a vineyard with really good plants, which have really good grapes. Correct. And then besides that, you've got to have what's called the vine dresser or the expert who understands how to operate, take care, cleanse, uh, tie up, you know, do all the things that need to be done to a, to a plant, to a vine for these grapes to continue to grow, to continue to flourish. And so we're heading into this chapter here that Jesus is going to talk about a vineyard, vines, where the branches, etc., And I'm going to break it up into uh, three different things. If you have the notes there, there's three different um, specific uh, breaks in it that I'm going to use. And the first one we're going to look at is our relationship with Jesus. Then we'll move into, in the chapter, our relationship with other. Followers of Christ, and then we're going to finish off with our relationship with the world. So in your notes, you will see those things right there. So the first thing, so I'm going to go ahead and start now. Our relationship with Jesus. So number one, in your notes, when it comes to our relationship with Jesus, God does his part, but we must do our part. God does his part, but we must do our part. Now, verses 1 and 2 of John 15 says this. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser." Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. Now, before we do a little bit on that, let me just state this. And I don't know if I said this before, but it bears repeating if I did tell you this before. Now, Jesus now, as he leaves the upper room, he is um, he's leaving the upper room on the south side of Jerusalem. He's walking down the south side, he's going down to the Kidron Valley, he's gonna walk up the Mount, to the Mount of Olives, Mount Scopus, Mount of Olives, and it's in the dark, it's at night. So he moves from the inside where he started at the Last Supper, and now he's going to the outside. Now, I don't think that's a coincidence, but because if you look at the Last Supper, you look at John 14, you know, giving them peace instead of fear. Those are all inside works of God in our life. Are they not? But now when we move to chapter 15, as Jesus steps outside into the night, now we see where he moves from inside work in a spiritual life to an outside work, and now it's all about bearing fruit in our life that people can see the fruit. Do you see how it moves from the inside to the outside? I don't think that's a coincidence. I think it's very specific. Now, as Jesus walks... He's walking through the night, and it is Passover time, which is near Easter time, which means you and I all know that around that time, it's a full moon or almost a full moon, is it not? So at night, it's going to be very bright. So as he's walking, and he starts talking about the vine and the vine dresser and bearing fruit and things like that, they're walking, and they know the terrain. They know what's going on. As they're walking up, say, Toward the Mount of Olives where Jesus will be arrested. He will be taken by when we get to John chapter 18. And he's talking about the vine and the vine dresser and bearing fruit. They can see the temple right there. As they walk up the Mount here, they can see the temple there. Some of you stood up on the Mount of Olives or we even walked down that last time. We were in Israel and you'll see the temple. Now there was no, when we were there, we saw the mosque of Omar, that golden dome. But in their day, there's a massive temple at that time. And that's Herod's temple, which would be the first, second, third temple. And it's massive. It's huge. But the thing about that temple is, and you can go home and Google just a picture of what it might have looked like. They have these massive doors on that temple. And on these doors, the, 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 the pictures of them that they, that they think would look like, there are these pillars on each side of these massive doors. And on these pillars are, are wrapped around them these golden vines with massive clusters of golden grapes. And there's some of these clusters are almost, would be almost as tall as a man. So they're really big. And so as they're walking through the night, and Jesus starts talking about these things, they can look across in the moonlight. There's plenty of light in the night because of that moon. And they know it. They can see it. Jesus talks about... The vine, the vine dresser bearing the fruit, which means the grapes. And they can see that there is that door there that they've seen many times. And now Jesus is using a visual now that they can see as he's sharing about these things. Isn't that a cool thing, right there? That as they're walking the night now, as I said, we do our part, Jesus does his part, or the vine dresser does his part. So, what do I mean by that? Well, he says in these verses that God is the expert. God's the vine dresser, right? Jesus, therefore, he says, is also I. He says, I'm the vine. So he's the vine. Then he says, You and I are the what? We're the branches. The branches we know need to bear fruit. Now think about that. If God is the vine dresser of the vine and we are the branches, therefore God is the expert, and the vine dresser always does his job no matter what, does he not? Therefore, God will always do his part in our lives to grow us in our lives. Will he not? Now, I like that. So you keep your marker here. Do me a favor. Turn to Philippians to your right. Look at chapter 1. And in chapter 1 of Philippians, uh, look around verse 6 of chapter 1. And you're going to see a little verse tucked in there that I think many of you know. Uh, in fact, instead of just 6, let's look at verses 5 and verse 6 of Philippians 1. When you're there, say, I'm there. Okay, now watch this. It says, Paul writes, he says, in view of your what? Participation in the what? In the gospel. Are we just supposed to participate in the gospel of Jesus Christ? Say yes. Okay, from the first day until now. How long have we been participating in it? From the moment we're saved until right now, Correct. So we're actively involved in the participation of the gospel. Because of that, he says, verse 6, For I am confident of this very thing, that he, God, who began a good work in in you, that's you and me and all of us in this room, will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. As you read that, do you notice there's a two-part there? That God is going to do his part, is he not? But it also says that I need to do my part, I need to what in verse 5? Participate. I need to do my my I, I need to be with God. So there's this two things. Now we know because he's the expert, he's the vine dresser, he will never back off from doing his part. I may back off at times, but he is never, never going to back off from doing his part in our lives. Amen to that one. Can I impede my own progress? You better believe I can. Now let's go back to John chapter uh, chapter 15. <clears throat> And look at verse 2. It says, let's go back over verse 2 again. I like verse 2. Every branch, and who are you and I? Were the what? The We're the branches. Every branch in me, in Jesus, that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. Now, real quick sidebar. Notice in verse 2, first off, in the middle, we bear fruit. Do we not? Yes or no? Yes, we do. Look at the end of verse 2. Then we bear how much? More. Then we go to more fruit. So we bear fruit. Then there's more fruit. And then just jump real quick. Look at it real fast. Verse 5. It says, I'm the vine. You are the branches. You abides in me. And he bears how much? More. Much fruit. So it was from fruit, more fruit to what? More. Much fruit. And if you want to take it even further, um, you go verse 16. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you would go and bear fruit. And that your fruit should what? what it should remain right so in other words you bear fruit there's more fruit there's much fruit and the fruit that you and I are bearing because we're branches in the vine that fruit should remain correct it has eternal significance in in life so okay let's go let's go back to verse two now now we have a branch in verse two look at it there's a branch that has what that doesn't have what it doesn't have fruit so what does the expert the vine dresser do to that he takes it away. That's very interesting to me. The word takes away, the two words takes away, it literally means to lift up. It's the idea of lifting up. Now, <clears throat> if we took that same Greek word that takes away and we looked at other parts of the New Testament on how it's used, we would find that the fuller meaning means to lift up, to take away, and to remove completely. That's interesting, is it not? To remove completely. Now, with that said, I'm going to give you two different means of what this could mean. I believe the second one, but I'm going to give you both because if you read commentary, you're going to run into the first one too. So what? lift up, take away, remove completely. So the first one is this. Uh-uh. You will read in commentaries and different people will write that the vine dresser, the expert comes. He sees the cluster of grapes and they are so big and so heavy that the branch could not hold them anymore and they fall to the ground and they're in the mud and it's just a mess. So the expert vine dresser comes and he lifts it up, takes away. He lifts it up, cleans them off. He ties it to the, the, what do you call that? um, Trellis, trellis? is that right? Ties it to that. And so he keeps doing his job, doing his work right there. Now, that sounds cool, doesn't it? Here's my question though. Does the branch in verse 2 have any grapes on it? So why would he lift that up? Why would he tie that up? So that translation or that idea, it doesn't work for me because there's no grapes on the branch. So it's got to mean something different. So maybe it does mean lift up and take away. Now, this is where when you study the Bible... You must continue or you must get the full picture of what John is saying, not just in a verse and pull it out. You've got to go back in time and think about everything in what John has been saying, what we've been studying throughout this whole book. Now, the branch here has never borne any fruit. It speaks of a person who's never borne any fruit. James, the half-brother of Jesus, says that faith without works is is dead that's right so a true believer should produce what should produce fruit huh interesting now let me drill down further on this keep this idea in front of you now look at verse 3 it says you are already say it louder what clean because of the word which i've spoken to you so you're already clean correct He's talking to believers. We're already clean. But wait a minute. Let's go back in time with John and put some things together. Look at chapter 13. Jesus made a statement early on. Look at chapter 13 and look at verse Look at verse 10. Now, in verse 10, at the Last Supper, Jesus said to him, he who has bathed... Because remember, Peter says, oh, no, no, don't wash my feet. Remember that one? Okay. He says, he who has bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, there it is, but, oh, not all of you. Well, now, John, we go back with John, and we find out more information of what these things could possibly mean. So now come back to John 15. He says in verse 3, you are already clean, but we know earlier, not all of them are clean, correct? Not all of them are believers, correct? Who is he talking about in John 13? He's talking about Judas. So we can take Judas, same gospel, whole idea here, and we can put in there. And now we think about the branch that has no fruit on it. He's talking about Judas. He's talking about a person that never bore fruit. Now, somebody will say, but wait, Jim, the the disciples, didn't they fear? Didn't they run away? Didn't they let Jesus down? Yeah, but wait, that was a momentary you know, lapse of faith. It wasn't a loss of complete faith. They didn't have big faith, but they still had faith. They were still believers. But Judas, uh-uh, he was a whole different ball game. Let's go back to John, see what John tells us about Judas. Go back to chap- chapter 6 of John. Now watch this, because you got to put it all together or else it's not going to make sense or you could go down the wrong road. In chapter 6, Jesus speaking, and look at verse 70 and 71. Say you're, If I are there, say I'm there. Now look at this. Jesus answered them. He's talking to the disciples. Now he makes this heavy statement. He says, did I myself not choose you, the 12, and yet one of you is a what? Oh man, can you imagine that day they heard that? Which one of us is a devil? You know, Verse 71. Now he meant Judas. The son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. So now we know that Jesus called Judas a what? He called him a devil. So I put all this together, and now I, I come to the conclusion to me that was Judas ever really a believer? And the answer is, there's no way. There's just no way he was. He never produced fruit. He never was a child of God. He was never cleansed, because not all of you are cleansed. And so therefore, he's a picture of the branch that has no fruit on it, and though therefore it can be lifted up and taken away, and just taken away, because there is no fruit in the sky. Now, John 15, look at verse 4. He says, Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the in the vine so neither can you unless you abide in in me that's right so now the word abide let's define the word abide so we get a picture of what that is it means to stay pretty simple remain stay in that place so now he says you branch you need to abide in me great biblical example in John again we're not going to turn there but in John chapter 1 verse 38 remember when two potential disciples come up to Jesus and they say Jesus, you know, we, 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 where are you staying? We want to go hang out with you. In other words, where are you abiding at? We want to go hang out there. And so you use Bible to interpret Bible, and that's what the whole idea of, ab- of ab- abiding is. You want to stay there. You want to remain connected. Now, question. I'm not talking salvation. We're saved. We're washed clean. So this is not salvation, this question. You're saved. How difficult is it for you and I to remain connected. Sometimes it's pretty tough, huh? I mean, sometimes it's pretty tough to really stay in this... I'm not talking about... You're not losing salvation. Don't, get, don't think that. But just to remain connected, to stay in the Word, to stay in worship, to stay in a consistent prayer life. Does that take daily work? You better believe it does, huh? And by the way, have you ever seen a branch going, boy, this is tough staying connected to this tree right here. You've never seen that, right? But it gets tough for you and I, doesn't it? Now look at the end of verse uh, 4. What are the last two words in verse 4? Last three words. Give me the last three words. Abide. Abide in me. Now, that's positional. Now, remember, verse 3, you are clean. You're saved, correct? Now he gives you a positional statement. Abide in him. Ah. Uh, so position, therefore, leads to production, does it not? If I keep my stay connected, if I stay abiding in Jesus, my position there, staying connected to Him, not salvation, I'm saved. That leads to production of fruit in my life, does it not? Does it not? So there's a very important thing that we stay connected, we bear fruit. Now, point two in your notes, this relation with Jesus, fruit is evidence. Fruit is always evidence. Let's look at verse 5 of John 15. It says, I am the vine, and you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears how much fruit? Much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. And the idea that you can do nothing of any spiritual, eternal uh, effect in your life if we're separated and we're not, I should say, not abiding in Jesus Christ. But fruit, apart from me, I can do nothing. I can't be apart. Fruit is the evidence. Now, what kind of evidence is fruit? When you think about a fruit tree, it's, the fruit of the tree gives you identity, and it gives you condition. At least those two things, right? So I have an avocado tree in my backyard, a Haas avocado. I have a lemon tree in my backyard. They're both bumper crops, bumper crops this year. Fantastic. Now, if I go to the lemon tree and pick a lemon, what kind of tree does that tell me it is? So it's, it's pretty, it's, you guys are so smart. <laughs> If I go to the avocado tree and pick an avocado off it, what does it tell me it is? An avocado. So I know by its fruit, its identity, correct? So our fruit of our lives tells, gives people our identity. But it's also the fruit gives condition. I told you the story before that my avocado tree, two years ago, there was a heat wave. I did not know that one of the sprinkler lines was busted and cemented over and therefore it wasn't getting the double water it usually gets. So when that heat wave hit, part of the tree died. And the avocados on that tree that year shriveled down, you know, n- nothing. And the condition was terrible because there was not enough water on that tree. So the, the avocado, the fruit, not only told me what it was, its, it's identity is avocado. But the, the condition of the fruit told me the health of the fruit itself, or the tree, right? Same thing with us. The fruit of our lives gives away the identity of who we are, what we are, but it also shares The condition of our spirituality. Does that make sense? I think it makes perfect sense. Now, verse 6 says this. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away. Now, we don't like to hear that at all, do we? But Jesus is talking. And he's thrown away as a branch and dries up. And they gather them and cast them into the fire. And they are burned. hotly debated (laughs) verse right here. Very hotly debated verse. So let me let me give it a shot at this. One. Notice first. Look at verse six. Look at verse six. I have a question for you. In this verse, who takes the first step in the verse? God or the person? The person. That's a very important thing. You got to notice little things like that. The person takes the first step in the verse. Now, <clears throat> what's the first step of the person in the verse? What do they not do? Abide. They don't abide. Now that's a kind of a sad statement, isn't it? So they don't abide. Now, Judas, let's say go back to Judas again, because I think he's the perfect example of this chapter. Judas takes the morsel from Jesus, does he not? Judas makes a step toward Jesus after that or away from Jesus. He, wait, he leaves. He says, I'm gone. Is he gone for a moment or is he gone forever? He's gone forever. Not just he's leaving. He, that's it. He, he's going. Jesus knows he's going to do that. But the vine dresser is still trying to get him, right? But he says, no, I'm not going to abide with you. And he splits. And because he leaves and he doesn't abide, what does Judas eventually do to himself? He hangs himself. So he spiritually, in a sense, ruins himself, does he not? And if we do not abide in the vine, Jesus, don't we eventually start to ruin ourselves spiritually? It's exactly true. It's very, very logical verses. Now, let's flip it and watch Jesus as he gives us the contrary. Look at verse 7, 8, and 9. Watch. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. How many love that statement? You, everybody raise your hand right now. We all know we love that statement. Oh, man, I'm going to ask whatever I want. This is it, man. Now, let's read on, though my father is, is glorified by this that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples there it is again you're proving by the fruit verse 9 uh, just as the father has loved me I have also loved you abide in my love now watch this in verse 7 look at verse 7 I can ask for whatever I want I can get it right okay are there any conditions there there's at least two there's at least two in verse 7. Look at What's the first condition? You got to abide in me. What's the second condition right on the heels of the first one? The word of God has to abide in, in you and I. So there's two conditions for me to ask whatever I want and I'll get that. So first I got to abide in Jesus. I got to stay. I got to remain with him. Seek first the kingdom of God, his righteousness. Then all these things will be added unto me. And then with that, the word of God's got to abide in me. Now, if I'm doing those things, question. Do you think it would change my heart and desires? you better believe it because once the spirit of God comes to live in me and the word of God comes in me it starts to transform me and all my misconceptions and false ideas about God and what God wants for me they go away and I begin to take on what really God's thinking process is and what God wants for my life amen to that one yeah so let's, let's give you an example of that one right there <clears throat> now do you remember that day when the sweet mother of James and John comes up to Jesus do you remember her? And she comes, Jesus. I have a question. You see, my boys, they're sweet. They're sweet boys. They've been. They never lie. They never lie. James and John are sweet. Oh yeah, your son wanted to call down fire on the Samaritans. Remember that lady? But anyway, so we. I have one question. Jesus, would you consider this? Would you consider that when you sit in your kingdom, that my boys? Each sit, one on your right and one on your left, when you come into your kingdom. What does Jesus tell that lady? Are you out of your mind? No, he didn't say that, right? He turns to the boys and he says, or he tells her, he goes, this is not mine to give. Then he looks at them and he says, uh, "He says, do you understand what you are asking? Are, no, are you able to do what I'm doing? And they said, what? Oh, yeah, of course we are able. <laughs> yeah, no problem. Man, until they sat there at the cross and watched Jesus up there and saw a thief on this side and a thief on that side. Huh? Later on, they go, "Oh God, thank God, God didn't answer that prayer." Huh? You know. So here's the whole point: Did they really understand what they were asking? And the answer is no. They didn't understand. They did not have the heart of God. They had not lived enough abiding and enough word of God in them where they could now align their heart with God's will and therefore ask what God would want already on their heart because it's God's will already. They asked outside the will because they didn't understand. The longer you walk with God and if you remain and you abide in Jesus and get more word in you, more word in you, more word in you, pretty soon your heart aligns with the will of God and you will watch that just by natural spiritual osmosis, you will pray the will of God. It will just come out of you because there's so much of God in you, so much transformation in you that you're not going to worry. Was well, that the will of God? I don't worry about those things. I never worry about those things one bit. I, I, I just know what God's word says and I'm just going to pray those things out because that, you know, that's what God says. Now, does that make sense? Okay, good. Now, verse 10 and 11 says, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I've spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made what? Full. Full. Now, question. He tells them how to abide. Look at verse 10. How do they abide? By doing what? You keep the commandments. Keep the commandments. That's right. And then by, look at verse, verse, keep looking there. And by keeping the commandments, what are you abiding in? His love. And then by doing that, what's the ultimate thing that we receive in verse 11? There's joy. Isn't that great? If I abide in him and his word abides in me, then I receive uh, uh, the joy of God. Now couple that back with chapter 14. Look at 27. Remember, look at 1427. What's Jesus going to leave and give them? 1427, what? He's going to give them peace. Now they can have peace because remember they were afraid because they said, I'm leaving. Peter, you're going to deny me. In fact, you're all going to scatter. So they have all this kind of fear. But he says, you're going to have peace. And now he says, not just that. If you abide in me, my word abides in you, you're going to have joy too. You're going to have all these things, even though you know what's coming at you. And what's coming at them is not going to be fun, guys. It's going to be really a, a, a lot of opposition. Now, <clears throat> let's move on now to the second uh, uh, phase here, and that is our relationship with other Jesus followers. In your notes. The first thing you see now, how does this translate to our relationship with other followers or with other people. And that is number one, personal sacrifice. It's personal sacrifice. Look at verse 12 and 13. This is the natural progression now of a follower of Christ. This is my commandment that you what? You gotta love one another. Woo! Just as? You know, I don't like when Jesus says just as. Because now he's pointing to himself and now I gotta act like Jesus, right? Anybody just like, it bugs you sometimes? Why do I have to act just as you acted Jesus? Kind of hurts, right? Some of you got to go home to adjust it. No, I'm just joking. Um, But he says, just as I have loved you. Then he adds, greater love has no one than this, that one laid down his life for his. Oh my gosh, that's personal sacrifice. Now, here's what I like about that. Did he say um, in verse 12, this is my feelings that if you feel it, you love one another. No, is love a feeling? It can produce feelings. But it is not a feeling. Love is an action. Love is a command. It's a decision of the will to love. Does our society have that upside down? Yes. And because they do, the moment they go uh, a season where they don't feel love, say in a marriage, they feel like, well, if I don't feel love, I don't love you, so I got to leave you and go find somebody else that I'll feel love for. You know, And that's what they do. But it's a decision of the will. Because how many know, don't raise your hand, sometimes you just... You want to assassinate your spouse. No, I'm just joking. I'm just joking. <laughs> sometimes, but sometimes your spouse bugs you. Anybody? One godly, uh, th- this Well, bro, I never thought that she would raise her hand on that one right there. Because you're always so sweet to me anyway. But anyway. <laughs> okay. Um, you, you threw my train of thought. I lost my... No, I'm just joking. So, love is a command. It's not a feeling. And when it's a command... And we're to do it just as Jesus did. Now it leaves a personal sacrifice for other people, right? I can lay my life down for other people. And that's the way a Christian lives their life. And by the way, if, you ever, if you're married, you're going to get married, you better understand when you get married, you better be ready to die to yourself. Amen. Or it's just not going to work. Does anybody know that? I mean, this is one of the things when I counsel people. I listen to people like, oh, my gosh, what a selfish couple. You know, they haven't died of themselves. You're, Yeah, but we're Christians. Believe in the crucifixion all the way. You know, but okay, die to yourself then. It's just that simple. Now, uh, number two in your notes. The second thing is we support the same goals. The way we relate to fellow followers of Jesus is we support the same goals. Do we not? Verse 14. You are my friends. Plural, friends, plural, talking in plural. If you do what I command you, all of you do what I command you. Support the same goals. Support the commands. Live these things all together. The same aim, Jesus Christ. Number three, deepening friendships. Now watch this. Verse 15. Jesus now makes an amazing statement. He says, No longer do I call you slaves, for the slave does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you, what? Friends. For all things that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. very simple process here. He calls them friends, the Greek word "philos," which means "friend or comrade." Does Jesus usually go by the disciples and go, "Hey, friend, Jesus, or is it Lord?" It's usually Lord." But now he says, "peer relationship. We're friends. He brings them in because, and then the great illustration is, the slave doesn't know what the master's doing. The slave is not told what's going on. But the friend is. The friend knows what's going on in a friend's life. And, and, And I like that. And here's why I like it. Because in Christianity, you build friendships, you build trust, you have the same aim as other people, and as you now open up your life to other people, and you get to share some of your hurts, and some of your pains, and some of the things that happened in the past, doesn't that heal you? Doesn't it heal you? Isn't it good to know that you have people that will listen to you, won't go, oh, that happened. They won't do that. They won't talk about you. They won't do that. But you share things, and you get to get it outside of what's inside of you. And when it's outside and out there and you're loved and you're accepted, doesn't that heal you? It's a great thing. It's a great thing, these, these deepening friendships and so many people. And I get it. I understand it. It took me years to finally drop my guard and let it out. I understand the fear of opening up. I understand the fear of letting my guard down. I know what it feels like. And some of you know it too. But once you start to do it and you think, that wasn't so bad. And they didn't mock me or laugh at me like so-and-so in the past. And I can start to heal my life up now. Now, number four, and that is shared successes. Now you can have shared successes with other followers. Verse 16, 17. It says, you did not choose me, but I chose you. Let's stop right there before I read the rest of the two verses. He says to the disciples, you didn't choose me, I chose you. Why is that a radical statement? Because in that day, the students would pick the rabbi they wanted to follow. The student would pick the rabbi. Jesus says, you didn't pick me, I picked you. He reverses the schedule of the day and he does it differently than the way everybody does it. So let's read on in verse 16. You did not choose me, but I chose you. And appointed you, and he's talking to all the disciples. Now remember, they're all there. Appointed you guys that you would go and bear fruit and that your fruit should, would remain. So that whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he may give to you. This I command you, that you love one another. So he's saying, you guys, I've appointed all of you, get out there together and bear fruit. Okay? Obey that. So as they bear fruit, are they experiencing shared success? Yes, they are. Let me tell you why I like shared success. Because, um, well, let me give you an illustration. About a month, and, month, month ago, month and a half ago, uh, I had a couple of high school, old high school buddies. They called me up and they said, hey, uh, let's get together. Uh, one of them is going to be here in town one lives in Corpus Christi. Now, we all grew up. We were all in elementary school together. We know each other. So one, lived, this one lives in Corpus Christi. He's going to be in town. The other one called me and said, hey, he's going to be here. The other one's in Riverside. Let's get together and let's have lunch. Sounds good to me. So we got together for like about, you know, and when you're together and you've had history together, you start talking. Hours go by and you don't know it's ours. And we're sharing all these stories and I'm, they're telling me things and I have a good memory. I go, I did that? Yeah, you did that. And I would tell them things. I go, we did that? I go, yeah, we did that. And we're laughing and cracking up and all, you know. That's when you realize how stupid you were. <laughs> because you realize, I did a lot of stupid things, man. When I was younger, was I insane or what? Lord, did you have your hand on me or what? Saved my life how many times over? All these something, things. But we laughed and laughed because we have all these shared success memories, shared stories. But that's the same thing in Christianity, is it not? The more we minister together and do things together, we get to share success stories in our Christianity. Things that we did at the church, things that happened here, things over there. It's like, it's just fun. We can go back in time, in a moment of time, and recollect the moment in our history together that we did those things together. It's just fun to do that. And I I thoroughly love that part of right there. Now, let's go to the third thing. And that's our relationship with the world. So we had our relationship with Jesus now, our relationship with others. Now, relationship with the world. Now, number one, Jesus says, Our enemy is the world. Our enemy is the world. You, now, look at verse 18 and 19. Now, Jesus is going to take a very heavy turn. If the world hates you, you know that it has hated me before it hated you. Uh, can you imagine them going, oh joy, this is going to be great? You know? Verse 19. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. But, because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, because of this, the world, it just hates you. (laughs) Isn't that great? Now let me tell you what what he means by the world. What he doesn't mean by the word world. He doesn't mean the earth. It's not what he means. The earth doesn't have a mind or a personality. So he's not talking about that. What is the world? The world is is the system of thought, the system of operation that is totally controlled and operated by Satan himself that we live in. That's what he means by the world. You and I, to put it in a movie visual that I, I works for me, is that we have been disconnected from the matrix. Amen? We were in the matrix, for those of you who know the matrix, but we've been taken out of the matrix, and now we see, Right? But there are many people still in the matrix, in the world system. Are they not? Yes. Now, what he says here is really interesting, and we need to take it to heart. Because some Christians, I think they have their head in the ground. And this is a sobering couple of verses. He's telling us this. The world, this system operated by Satan, either loves or hates you and I, depending on whether we agree or disagree with it. Did you hear what I said? The world system either loves us or hates us based on whether we're going to agree with it or not. It's just that simple. If we agree with their insanity, and it is insanity out there now, then they think, oh, yeah, I love you. But if we don't, oh, no, they hate us. They hate us. The world, Jesus is saying, is conditional in its love. Is it not? Agree? We love you. Disagree? We hate you. It's just that simple. And it's gotten worse in my lifetime as a Christian. I've never seen it get to this point in my life. If you're sitting there thinking, Jim, that's just not true. Okay, I challenge you to do this. Go to one of these places of higher learning. Yeah, higher learning. (laughs) I don't even know about that anymore. Or stand before unsaved politicians and present the gospel and present your biblical morality in these places. Tell them your biblical stance on abortion and same-sex marriage and the whole list that you want to bring up and see how they respond. What are they going to do? They're going to go nuts on you. You better have a, 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 a plan to escape, my friends. You better have a way out. Because they're just going to get angry with you because, and they will blow up in your face and they will become so, catchphrase, intolerant of you, right? They scream to the Christian, You're not, you're intolerant. Wait a minute. That's hypocritical. Because who are they intolerant of? Us. Nobody's tolerant of us. But they scream that, they scream it to us. Because that is the world system. You're not of it. You know, Peter said, I think it's 1 Peter 2.11, he said, uh, we are strangers and aliens in this world. Do you ever feel like that? I do. I feel like I'm in a war and I'm a stranger and alien in this place. Now, to be fair, all the unsaved politicians and people with all the letters after their name and stuff like that that just can't stand our stand-somethings, I said unsaved ones. They're just puppets. They're marionettes. They don't know it, but they're in a system where Satan is controlling it all. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, it says, but against principalities and powers. Satan is the real controller behind everything. Never forget that. So with that knowledge, you don't get so bent out of shape that you look at somebody and say, forget you, you're not worth trying to save. Yes, they are. Yes, they are. They're just under a different control. You and I, let's go back, have been disconnected from the matrix. And our eyes open, and we see. But the world does hate us for what we stand for. Now, let's look at verse 20. Remember the word that I said to you, a slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours uh, they, will, they, they will keep yours also. Now, <clears throat> verse 19. Look at it. Do they hate? Okay, big question. What's the fruit of their hatred? You find it in verse 20. What's the fruit of their hatred? One word. They persecute us. The fruit of their hatred is persecution. See, in persecution, hate... Becomes deliberate, does it not? In persecution, hate becomes deliberate. They hate what we believe, so therefore they move towards persecution. And the persecution is the hate that is now deliberately carried out against us. Did that make sense? Because that's exactly what happens, to put it in a nutshell. Now, verse 21. But all these things they will do to you for my namesake. Is that incredible? They will do this to us in the namesake of Jesus because we stand for the name of Jesus because they do not know the one, capital O, the one who sent me, God the Father. They don't know God the Father. If I had not come and spoken to them, here's a heavy statement, they would not have sin, but now they have no excuse for their sin. Huh. He who hates me hates my Father also. If I had not done among them the works which no one else did, they would not have sinned. But now they have both seen and hated me and my father as well. Did you just hear what he just said there? He says, Knowledge equals responsibility. He came and shared with them. They saw the works that he did. Knowledge equals responsibility. James would say later on if a man knows the right thing to do and does not do it, to him it is what? It's a sin. You must have knowledge of sin to commit a sin. It's very simple. Jesus told that to the Pharisees. He said, when one day he's talking about blindness with the blind man in John 9, I'm going to get it wrong, but he said something like this. He said, uh, they said to him, are we blind too? (laughs) They asked Jesus, are we blind too? And Jesus says, if you were blind, you'd have no sin. But since you say you see, your sin remains. Knowledge equals responsibility. Jeez, Jesus was quick, man. Man, would you hate to get in a debate with that guy? Boy, man. Now, okay, so uh, where, where am I at here? Verse, uh, verse 25. But they have done this to fulfill the word that is written in their law. Now watch this written in the law, the Old Testament law. They hated me without a cause. That's written in the Old Testament. It's written in the Psalms. They hated me without a cause. Whoa. What does that mean? Think of it like this. The world system that is operated by Satan, the world has a predisposition to hate anything of God. Does it not? Because the world by nature operated by Satan, the individuals in it, they think they are God and they're the shot callers. Correct? That's why every 8, 10, 15 years every bit of belief system of the world changes because they just go with what they feel and what they think because they've made themselves God, right? Now, so the the world has a predisposition to hate anything of God. It is written, they hated me, Jesus says, without a cause. They don't have a reason to hate me, but they hate me without a cause. So here's the thing you and I should never be shocked about ever. The world can't behave any other way. You're going to expect it to behave a different way? No, it's not. It is never going to behave differently. It's never been disconnected from the matrix. The world hates what we stand for. And it's just that simple. Now, Jesus just gave some heavy, heavy news, right? And you and I suddenly sort of go, oh my gosh, this is awful. But look what he says now. And we're going to close with this. Verse 26, 27. When the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, Who's the helper, guys? It's the Holy Spirit. He comes in the second chapter of Acts in power, man. That is the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father. He will testify about me. And you will, and you will testify also because you have been with me. There's abiding again from the beginning. So a natural outflow of abiding with Him is sharing the faith. Now... In the midst of all that Jesus said, they're going to hate you. they're just going to be opposition. Don't expect it to be different. They're just going to persecute. All these things are going to happen. Now think about what he just said when he brings in the helper. All oh, that's going to happen, guys. And persecution brings doubt. But don't panic. And don't stress it. Because I'm sending a supernatural person, the Holy Spirit, God, to give you a supernatural courage in the face of persecution. Do you hear what I said? And that spirit lives in you and in me. Now here's your last last thought, last thought, last question. When you and I share faith, when we share about Jesus Christ and the gospel, who is the one that carries the most weight of that testimony. Who's carrying the biggest burden of that testimony? Verse 26, at the end. He, who is he? The Holy Spirit. He will testify about me. Who is the one carrying the, we know in verse 27, we're sharing, but who's carrying the bigger weight in our sharing with other people? The Holy Spirit. Never forget that. Never forget. That's why John the Baptist, going back to chapter one, he said, They asked him, Who are you? He goes, I'm a voice. That's all I am. I'm just a voice. And you and I are just a voice. That's all we are. But the Spirit of God carries the weight of that testimony to get into people's lives. Never, ever forget that. Otherwise, you think you're the one having to do the whole job. No, you're not. You're just a voice. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this chapter. Jesus, thank you for the teaching, God, because it is so helpful. It enables us to be able to um, walk in these things and, and share our faith and understand how we relate to others and and see our identity and the condition of our lives through the fruit. Lord, we know that you're always, always there with us and <clears throat> that you who began a good work in us, you're going to be faithful to complete that good work in us and the Spirit of God is going to be there to testify, Lord. We thank you for all these things. Thank you, God. Lord, I just pray blessings upon my friends who came out tonight, Lord. We thank you, Jesus, for your goodness to us, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. And we say, amen. If you need prayer or dedicated your life to Christ, please reach out to us on our social media, on Facebook and Instagram at Norco, or email us at hello at NBCC.com. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to share and subscribe to this podcast.